CFL fans, are you ready? Because it's time for the Canadian Football Countdown on Mike FM Winnipeg. Canadian Football Countdown starts now. Good day to all and welcome to the Canadian Football Countdown here on Mike FM Winnipeg. I'm Ryan Coop alongside Michael Garrell. And if we sound a little different today, that's because we're not in the usual locations, are we, Mike? No, we're not. And we'll get into that maybe some other time. But uh, it's nice for a little change sometimes. Yeah, from the comfort of our own homes, uh, lower body injury keeping me out this week, so for preventing us from doing it in studio. So we're pre-recording this on Wednesday, and it will be out Thursday uh, on Mike FM Winnipeg. So if you're listening to this, it's a day after it was recorded. Um, CFL Week 7 is now in the books, is it not? Yeah, you know what? It was a very interesting week. Uh, granted, I was out of town, but I was able to watch enough uh, games back in the last couple of days to make sense of what happened this week. Yeah, and it all started off Thursday night. Calgary and Toronto in a game that, oh, for Toronto fans, that that's a scary one there with Ricky Ray going down in this game. That's something we've said all season long. Um, Toronto lives and dies with the play of Ricky Ray in the sense that if he goes down, their backups, Cody Vajardo, came in. Um, he's not very experienced, and Ray's been playing really well so far this season. Um, but an injury to Ray that looked like it was going to keep him out for a while was certainly a scare for the Toronto Argonauts. Absolutely, but, I mean, on the flip side, like, I don't want to be devil's advocate here, but you could kind of see it come in the last like, couple weeks because... You know, he took a lot of hits in uh, the game before I forget who they played. And then this against Calgary, it was almost like, okay, you know what, we neutralized Ricky Ray, we neutralized the entire uh, Argonaut football team. Yeah, and he's he's kind of the key that holds it all together. Uh, and he's been doing an excellent job so far this season. He, I believe, was the leading passer in the CFL coming into this week. Um, and that was something that it was, uh, it looked like a separated shoulder at first. In fact, Dave Naylor, uh, from TSN actually tweeting out that he would be out four to six weeks with a separated shoulder. Now, since then, uh, he's gone and retracted that and realized that that is not the case. And Ray's actually been practicing all week, um, and could be in the lineup when they play the Montreal Alouettes this weekend. Yeah. The actual terminology for the injury they thought he initially separated his AC joint. And in that case, it would have been four to six weeks. But I think they may have or may not have misdiagnosed the injury. And uh, that, that's a good sign for the Argos, like we've said. Uh, if Ray can be back, I don't know if he is still suffering from an injury. Like, Well, he is. Uh, I don't know if it's a great idea to bring him back right this week. Um there's rumors out there, I was just reading, that he hasn't really been throwing much all week, even though he's been at practice. Um, you don't want to put him in there at 50% and have him steamrolled again and out for the season. So 
If you're the Argos at this point, you're 3-4 and four on the season. Yeah, a crucial matchup with the Montreal Alouettes because you're tied for first place in the division with them. Uh, do you do you put in maybe not 100% Ricky Ray out there on the field? Or do you uh, do you give him the week off and see what Cody Fajardo can do? You know what? You're 3-4. and four. Uh, The way those bottom two teams are going in, in the East, in Ottawa and Hamilton... I think you can afford yourself some time to sit Ridley Ray. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree with you. Um, you know, you have to weigh it in a couple weeks off now or the entire season potentially. And that's something, like you said, the East, I think the East is going to be wide open all season long. I don't think we're going to see a team run away with it. And even uh, if they do run away with it, I'd put it in air quotes because a 500 record's not exactly running away with it. But with the way the East Division's playing, it certainly probably will be enough in order to win the division. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Toronto three and four, Montreal two and four, Ottawa one five and one, Hamilton zero and six. I mean, realistically, you could send them for two weeks without too much trouble. I don't think. But then again, you want your starter in there as soon as possible. Week 7, the West Division goes 3-0 and undefeated yet again against the East Division, pushing the record now uh, between cross-divisional matchups. The West are 15-2-1 so far this season against the East, with Montreal beating the Saskatchewan Rough Riders in Week 1, and then that major upset of the Calgary Stampeders, and then Ottawa and Calgary tying that one game. This is a case of, I mean, the East Division... Basically, it makes the matchups against themselves, their own divisional opponents, so crucial because uh, they're not winning against the West. Yeah, I I would argue it makes it crucial both ways. Right, because the in the West division, you have all these teams that are winning these games against the East. If you're going to gain any ground, you got to beat your own divisional opponents, right? I mean, it's scary to think that Hamilton and Owen Sitz might not be out of it. No, they're only, what are they, four points out of a playoff spot still. So uh, this is something, if a team can turn it around, and I think there's at least one team in the East Division that will yet this season, uh, and that's the Ottawa Red Blacks to me. I think they're going to turn it around, and at the end of the season, we're going to see Ottawa at the top of the East Division standings. Yeah, I, I would concur with that. Based on what I saw on Friday night, and another one of those close losses, they're one or two plays away, in my opinion, from being six and one or five and two. Yeah, I, well, one or two plays in each game is what you mean, right? Yeah, um, yeah. In the sense that, yeah, this, I mean, I don't know if we've ever had a one, five, and one team in the CFL because ties aren't that common. Um, but if so, this is probably the best one, five, and one team. Uh, we've seen at the start of CFL season, the Red Blacks have been in every game. They've lost by less than a touchdown in every one of their losses. Um, and they did again against the Bombers on Friday night with a last-second field goal. So this is a team that I think can turn it around easily. They just need to start putting, you know, finishing things off and putting wins on the board. Um, I'm not sure if you heard because you said you were out of town the weekend, Mike, but uh, Henry Burris actually showed up at practice for for the Red Blacks the other day to uh, try to inspire them a little after some uh, questionable comments on Twitter um, saying that uh, this isn't the same Red Blacks team from the last two years and that uh, this team needs leadership. 
Yeah, I I see where he's coming from because you know they've lost Burris himself, they've lost Kane, they've lost Williams, like and Burris others. Jackson. I mean, I mean that's that's the core of your football team right there. Yeah, and it's uh, it's a thing that they're I think they're struggling with is trying to make up for those pieces they lost. And don't get me wrong, I mean the way their roster is built, this is still a very good football team. Uh, yeah. and they've shown that on the field. I mean, their their offense is still running great under Trevor Harris. Uh, they're just not finishing things late in the game, and they did that again against the Bombers this week, um, when they, where they had a real chance to win that football game late in the game, and they, uh, I would say they blew it. Again, it's Ottawa outfinting themselves, Ottawa maybe being desperate to try to win. You know, in in hindsight, if you want to get into the bomber game here shortly, uh, yeah, sure. I'm not too sure I would have done much differently because the bomber defense has been so so good against the run, take away that one big run that you know Ottawa had there for the touchdown early in the third quarter. Right. You know, you're probably weighing the percentages and saying, well, okay, you know, we got Trevor Harris, we got a receiving core, we got a Winnipeg defense, but you know, hasn't exactly shut down the passing game this year. You know, one first down and they win the football game. You know, I like my percentage with Trevor Harris, you know, completing a 10-yard pass for a first down. That being said, you know, two throws that aren't even remotely close to being completed when the game was tied? That, that, that to me, is a bit of a question mark. Yeah, and what was it, uh, something like 13 seconds, I believe I read, uh, was how long that drive took with, for the Red Blacks after they took over, after the Bombers tied the game. Um, it took all of 13 seconds for them to punt the ball back to the Bombers. The Bombers marched into field goal position. How about Justin Medlock in this game after last week against the Montreal Alouettes? Even go back the week before uh, missing that final kick against the BC Lions, uh, Medlock was in a bit of a spell lately. I mean, still kicking good, but by Justin Medlock's standards, certainly not up to what we expect from him. Uh, missed a 45-yarder early on in this game that, really, that's something you would expect him to hit all day long. Uh, but late in this game, I mean, the rest of the game, six field goals, I believe, for Justin Medlock. Went six of seven this week, earning himself one of the uh, CFL's top performers of the week. Uh, it, it's... It's interesting, Ryan, to be honest with you. I mean, like, people say, you know, Justin Medlock should hit, should hit, should hit, should hit. But when was the last time the Bombers had a consistent field goal kicker? But basically, it was an expectation that you made from 40 and beyond. Right, and that's or, that, That's just the pressure that goes on you when you're the most accurate kicker in CFL history. Or, or have the Bombers kind of said, you know, and have, they, have they kind of been spoiled? And they said, you know, no offense to Liram whatever his name is, in Toronto. Anyway, yeah. So I, I'm just wondering, like, have we become spoiled to the fact that we now expect Justin Medlock to make every kick? I think so. I think that's the expectation that comes with how good of a kicker he is. Um, missing inside the 40 is something... Last season, I don't think he missed once inside the 40, so that's but something... That as a fan watching a football game, um, 
you know, it gives you kind of a, a safety blanket, if you will, kind of a reassurance, like, okay, we're marching onto that side of the field. Even if this doesn't end up as a touchdown, we know we're going to get a field goal out of this, right? And we, and we know we really have to only go a few yards past midfield to have a legitimate chance. At tying or winning a football game. Um, and I, I I think for me here, um, part of this bomber resurgence the last two weeks, right, and I, I don't know if you'll agree with me on this, but it has been the special teams and the ability for the bomber returner, Lanford, Fogg, you know, those guys, to make sure that the Bombers get a, somewhat of a short field. Yeah, certainly. Um, I would actually go and argue, you know, the Bombers brought in a bunch of different pieces in this offseason. They tried to shore up their defensive line, bringing in Drake Nevis, Tristan Acapulago, who's been injured. Um, I would argue the best offseason addition in total for the Bombers this season was Ryan Lankford. Would you agree with that? Yeah, and then, you know, I didn't know too much about the guy coming into the season. But six weeks in, I could make that argument for sure. I mean, previously with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, never really, he was in the lineup at times due to injuries. Um, but, and again, this season came in with the Bombers really impressed in the preseason. Um, and then, I mean, they had brought Kenny Stafford in the offseason. We expected him to be a part of the offense. Lankford played so well in the preseason, he kind of took that spot. And that's something he's taken over the return role. And with that uh, kick return touchdown right away against the first play of the game against the Argos at home a couple weeks ago, I think he's a player that's really exciting for fans to watch. We saw it the week before in that late comeback against Montreal. He was an integral piece of that after Weston Dressler down, went down. And I'll tell you, with Dressler on the six-game injured list, this is Lankford has all the chance in the world right now to really prove that he deserves to be a starting receiver in this offense. I'm hearing whispers that Weston Dressler will be back next week. Next week already, so pulling him off the uh, injured Six list early. Game. I heard last week already that he might only miss two or three games. So I bet the six-game injured list was just a salary cap move. So I don't want to like promote any sort of controversy in terms of who goes in, who stays in, who goes out in terms of the wide receivers in Winnipeg. Ryan, but, don't even start. I know where you're going with But, this. I mean, the last two games, Ryan Lankford has played really well. How do you take him out of the lineup? Well, I would argue that that is the only guy you could really take him out of the lineup for would be T.J. Thorpe. But T.J. Thorpe has played so well late in the game, you can't take him out either. Or do you take Clarence Denmark out? And I think that's where you thought I was going, in that Denmark has had a slower start to the year. Although, to his credit, he hasn't been targeted as much by Matt Nichols so far this year. Uh, I think in large part due to him being covered really well. Um, I don't know. It's this wonderful thing in Winnipeg right now to have a wealth of receivers that when Dressler comes back in, okay, if another guy gets injured, then you've got Lankford ready to go again there, right? For me, this just speaks to the depth that the Bombers have. And it's something that we haven't seen in Winnipeg in a long time. Because for me, it's like, okay, now let's say they cover somebody, and this is just an example like T.J. Thorpe. Not everybody's going to be able to cover Clarence Denmark, who's a pretty good receiver. And no, without a doubt. 
And depth is one of the most important things you can have in the CFL. Just look at the Edmonton Eskimos right now. They won again this week. They're six and zero. Half their over half their team. They have like twenty one people on the injured list. My my sprained ankle. I might as well be a member of the Edmonton Eskimos. I fit along with the rest of the team uh, out on the injured list. I uh, if you think they're six and zero because of luck or fluke, no, it's because of depth. That team is deeper than we've seen them in a long time, and they've shown it. It's a case in Edmonton of, okay, someone's down. Who's the next one in the lineup? Who's the next one that's going to succeed? Yeah, no, when you look at it kind of like, it's really interesting to me the fact that does every West team have – but I'm just looking at how this, how the West Division could shape up. It's like everybody is so close. Everybody has a weakness, but they have a strength that covers up for this so-called weakness. Yeah, the Eskimos, like I said, there is depth. I mean, they lost John White for this for the season, I believe, correct to an injury. Yep. Um, and then Trayvon Van comes in. He gets injured. And this past week, Ladarius Perkins comes in. I had never heard of Ladarius Perkins before this game. I expected coming into the week, Calvin McCarty, to maybe get the ball. Perkins, 19 carries for 105 yards. The uh, the Eskimos have started three different running backs this year, and each of them has a 100-yard game, which in today's CFL, where it seems to be a more emphasis on passing than running the ball, that's pretty darn impressive. If I could just touch on the running game a little bit. I honestly can't believe it's taken the Bombers this long to try to find some combination to get Andrew Harris and Timothy Flanders in the game at the same time. Absolutely. That's a thing that's really dynamic. It gives you options, right? It keeps the defense guessing, okay, which of these two is going to get the ball. And Timothy Flanders is a great backup running back, and I would argue that could potentially be a starter not, I'm not saying in Winnipeg to replace Andrew Harris, but I, I would say he's good enough to be a starting running back in the CFL. He's good enough to fill in in the short term, could, could and should something happen to Andrew Harris. Yeah, and he the, showed that in a couple games last season. You know what? For a couple games. I think he averaged like six yards a carry last season. That's pretty yeah, good. It, it's, it's weird, too, because both guys... They're kind of hybrids of each other, but they have different running styles. Absolutely. Uh, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, 4-2 and two on the season, were a third of the way through their schedule. Um, what do you make of this team so far? You want me to be honest? Yeah. I, better than I thought. Because I looked at that. I can't remember who we lost to. I looked at that Calgary game, it was the Calgary game, and I thought, oh boy, we got a long way to go. And then I looked at that BC game, well, you know, the Bombers could theoretically, Ryan, were it not for a brain fart of a play, be 5-1. and one. Absolutely. I would agree with that assessment wholeheartedly. This is a team that uh, what is doing better than I expected. You know, those two, even those two losses... The loss against Calgary, I mean, we all know, we all knew in our hearts going in that there was a strong chance the Bombers were going to lose that game. Um, they were they were competitive, Ryan, too, for the longest time. It was a close game in the third quarter. And I think 
the struggle that they had against Calgary with their offense not being able to generate, the defense being stuck, and then Calgary basically shoving it down our throats in the second half. And then you look at that game against BC. That's a team that they've played tight all season last season. Um, we expected them to kind of be play tight again this year, and that's what we got from that game. So I think this is a team that's played uh, better than I expected coming into this year. Just with the dynamics of the CFL's West Division, uh, I'm not really sure what I expected from the Bombers this year. Their defense last season, forcing so many turnovers, I didn't think they were going to be able to keep that up coming into this year. And that was sort of a lot of the reason why they succeeded so well last season. Um, so I had them more kind of at an average football team this year, kind of around a 500 football team. So a 4-2 and two start to the season. I mean, hey, I'll take that. Here's another thing to consider, and that is the fact that, you know, people say that three of the, three of the four wins or all four wins, depending on which way you looked at it, have been really close. I honestly have no problem with that. The Bombers have shown this ability to win close games this year, which is great to see. And I think the Bombers are going to learn from me the last two wins in particular and the game against BC to become a better team in a second half. Because I think the way this CFL is, more close games than not or less than a touchdown, either way, give or take the game winning field goal, you know, in the case of the Bombers in the last couple of weeks, you cannot underestimate the ability of the, the ability that you have and the confidence that you can gain from winning close games given the fact that every CFL game seemingly, except for a couple and I can count them on one one hand, has been close. So for me, I think it's a really exciting prospect that the Bombers are trying to figure out how to win and they're succeeding in the last three minutes. Something I'm not even sure they could have done last year. If I were, to, I, I can sum up the Bombers through the first third of the season in four words for you, and it's two separate two-word phrases. First okay. one, perfectly unpredictable. Okay. Or no, predictably unpredictable is what I wanted to say. In the okay. sense that you can predict what's going to happen with the Bombers in the sense that you know something unpredictable is going to happen. The last three games have all come down to the final play of the game. We've, we had that game against BC where the Bombers gave up, allowed BC to come back late in the game. The last two games, they've come back late in the game, and it's all come down to the final play. And they're predictably unpredictable in the sense that I don't think they've put together a solid 60-minute effort yet this season. The entire 60 minutes, all sides of the ball. That's very hard to do in today's CFL, I'll argue. But each game, it's a question of which side of the ball is going to play great and which one is going to cause struggles. Um, yeah, for sure. Uh, basically, here's another interesting... Sorry, can you rephrase the last part of your question? Well, I was just saying that um, the way the Bombers have played this season, uh, I haven't really seen a all three sides of the ball 60-minute effort on the field. And it's uh, predictably unpredictable in the sense that you know there's one side of the ball that's going to step up each game, and you know there's one side of the ball that's going to struggle, but you don't know which one it is each and every game. It's a guessing game. No, exactly. And sorry, I had to have you rephrase that today. I had to get my thought together. I had, a, I had a partial thought, and that is that I think, Ryan, we saw some things from the defense on Friday night that are very, very encouraging. Yeah, early on in that game, it was looking dicey, I would say. Trevor Harris... They Early on, they, that first drive, didn't they march all the way down the field? 
um, and score a touchdown, the Red Blacks. It was first drive of the game, wasn't it? It was the first uh, first uh, drive of the game. It was the first two drives they scored on, but nothing beyond that. But for me, what was really, 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 really encouraging was the fact that the Bombers had that quick play to line for their, their first offensive play. And, like, for me, I saw some things from a defense. For example, they held Ottawa under 400 yards passing. Under 300 yards passing. Trevor well, Harris only had 263. Oh, sorry. I must have mis- under- misread. But, I mean, for me, like, if you can do that in today's CFL, given the fact that, you know, that is it's a lead Ryan that's catered more to the offensive side of the ball, than the defensive side of the ball, I think that's encouraging. And I want to see this Bomber defense in a game that they should win on Saturday night impose their will. Absolutely. And this, uh, if you recall, going back to last year, I believe it was around the same point in the season, uh, the Hamilton Tiger Cats came to town here in Winnipeg. Um, Thunderstorm delayed the game almost three hours. Do you remember which one I'm talking about? Yes, I do. And then all of a sudden the Bombers come out flying. First play of the game. Now Zach Kloros was injured. Jeremiah Mazzoli was in. Uh, first drive, Mazzoli picked off. I believe it was Mo Leggett in for a touchdown. Um, and the Bombers come out to that 31 nothing league and 31 nothing lead early on in that game. Um, this Hamilton team so far this year has struggled um, the Bombers, statistically on paper, everything you look at this week should end up in the win column. Whether is that it, happens, though, I'm not so sure. Are we in a situation, Ryan, where, like, I've been going back and forth when we're going to do our pits later. Is there something that scares you about this matchup? There's something that scares me about this entire week. I'll tell you, this this week more so than any so far on the schedule uh, is a trap week for every almost every game involved. You know, the Bombers playing the Ticats who haven't won a game yet. Um, they've come close now twice against the Eskimos who are undefeated. Uh, they made a couple changes to their coaching staff this week. Um, it remains to be seen how that's going to impact them. I would argue Edmonton playing against the Ottawa Red Blacks as well. The Red Blacks... They're, if you look at their record solely, you know, and Edmonton, Edmonton should win that game, but this Ottawa team's better than you expect. Um, and then as well, we have a rematch between Saskatchewan and BC this week, and we'll get into that a little more later. Um, a rematch is always dangerous. For me, I look at, I have to look at Edmonton. Sits and all. Are they lucky to be sits and all? No, I don't think it's luck at all. I, uh, I think it's pure chalk it up to their depth. I think it's um, just the way that you know who they have as a leader in Mike Riley. Players stepping up on defense, on offense, on special teams. And this is a really well-coached football team. The things Jason Moss has done so far this season, as well as the rest of his coaching staff, when you have that many guys out with injury, when you have three of your top receivers out with injury, when you've lost two running backs to injury, you've lost two kickers, Let's not even get into the defensive side of the ball, the offensive line. Um, this team with that many injuries, you chalk that up to the management, the coaching staff, and the leadership on that team. And anytime you have Mike Riley still in the game, the Eskimos have a chance to win any game because I believe truly right now, the way he's playing, he's playing as the best player in the CFL. 
Would you give the MOP a quarter of the way through to Mike Riley? Oh, 100%. 100%. No Who's your e- And then Ricky Ray, your East nominee? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly where I would go with both of those. Yeah, I just think that... I, I, I shudder to think that if the football has been this good through six or seven weeks, what's it going to be come October, November when we... When these teams actually physically hit stride. Exactly. It's going to be a great season all season long. And when I was saying those two different points, the four words to sum up the Bombers so far, I didn't give the last two yet. And I think this one actually applies to the entire CFL so far this season. Pure entertainment. If you look up in the dictionary the word entertainment, you should see the CFL logo next to it. Because this season as a whole... The Bombers, like I said, those last three games coming down to the final play, uh, we can say that about a lot of games this season being decided late. A heck of a lot of entertaining catches so far this season. We saw even more of those in the BC-Saskatchewan game. My goodness. Uh, We saw some in the Hamilton-Edmonton game as well. Um, This CFL season as a whole, is it's it's fun to talk about. For me, like... I can't recall a more exciting CFL start to the CFL season. I don't think there has been one, at least not in my lifetime. So I, I guess, what would make this CFL season a failure from this point forward? From this point forward, a failure, I would say... Uh, a failure would be a wrong word, but a disappointment. Like We've been treated to some exponentially good football games what would it take to not i guess the excitement off the pedestal well i think it comes down to the one issue we've all had so far this cfo season comes down to the refing the command center and all of that stuff right if you have if you if you have this exciting cfl season it all comes down can you imagine great season all year long comes down to the great cup and the great cups decided on an absolutely terrible blown call that would put a disappointing end on the season. Okay, so this leads into another topic that I wanted to discuss. How do you think the one challenge thing worked through one week? I, I you know, and I, I told you this in our like conversations this week. Um, I love that the CFL is looking, is listening to fans and realizing how much of an issue it was the way it was done. I love that they're trying to do things to fix it. I don't like what they did to try to fix it in the sense that the one challenge rule, and we saw that this week a couple of times. We saw that, I would argue, with the Bomber game. Um, clear call missed early on in the game that Mike O'Shea goes and wastes his challenge on just to make sure it's right. Uh, clear pass interference by the Ottawa Red Blacks on, that, on the one play. Um, refs don't call it. Mike O'Shea has to challenge. And this was one of the fastest challenges I've seen all season, you know. It was like a twenty it was like less than a minute, all of a sudden the verdict Oh yeah, we do have pass interference on the play. I'll tell you this, when the command center comes back and overturns the call, like thirty seconds after they start reviewing it, you know it was a terrible call. Is that a fair assessment? Absolutely. And for me And then you're left without a challenge for the rest of the game. So I think it makes things interesting in the sense that now you have to kind of play games in your head, and you have to take risks if you're uh, if you're a coach in the CFL. Do you think early on in the game, okay, well, I could get this interference call here, or I could get this turnover here. 
but no, we're still winning right now, or it's still a close game. Maybe I should save this in case I need like a pass interference call on the final drive when making a comeback, right? Um, so it's but it also like it also makes teams question when they take their timeout, but do they have to have their timeout in their hand? Well, let's talk about that now. As we uh, moving into that Hamilton Edmonton game, I don't know. Did you get a chance to see this one, Mike? A little bit. Like the first quarter, I watched on TSN Bowl just to kind of get a feel for it. The uh, basically this came down and uh, Hamilton stuck around in this game all game. It came down too late. They had a chance to win this football game. Um, they had a chance to punch it in. I believe they were at the twenty-five yard line. Final play of the game. The Ticats had to go and take a timeout with two seconds left because I think they didn't have enough people on the field or they had too many. Uh, so they weren't set up at all. Um, and uh, if you recall, late in the game, this is something that happened to the Bombers a couple of years ago. If you take a time count that late in the game, you lose a down. Um, yeah. And so this is a thing the Ticats had to go and use a timeout with two seconds left on the clock just to get their team set up properly on the field. Uh, Caleros goes and throws it into the end zone. Pass incomplete. Potentially, though, an interference call there. Uh, it's debatable. I'm not sure if they would have gotten it. Kent Austin tries to challenge it. He can't because he doesn't have his timeout left because he used it with two seconds left on the clock to get guys out on the field. That is a thing that potentially could have put them at the one-yard line with a chance to punch it in and get their first win of the season. So, I mean, that that magnifies what you were just saying. I mean, for me here, like, what would be the best way, like, I hate the fact that CFL officials from time to time Blow things that are obvious. I hate the fact the coach has to use a challenge, especially now that he's got one challenge left, to try to fix something that shouldn't have been called originally. So it's really annoying to me that the fact that like we have to waste potentially a challenge on something that you know could have easily been fixed. I mean, I think there's no denying it, Ryan. I think we're going to see more and more alterations to the video review system in the offseason. I think there has to be changes for this reason alone. I just don't get why you change the rule in the middle of the season. Well, and I would say to your point, that's an issue with the command center needing to step in. and You should not have to, like, if it's a clear call like that, like, the command center should be watching every play. Um, granted, sometimes it's hurry-up offense and you don't really have that much time in between plays, but there's usually still a couple seconds in between plays where the command center can go and watch it back, even just, like, watch it back live, and if they clearly see a penalty that was missed on the field, go and radio it in and overturn the call, you know? Like, for example, I, I, I keep coming back to the Karen play. The command center should have said, hey, buddy, you know what? It had nothing to do with the play. Pick up your flag. Well, exactly. And that's the thing. A team shouldn't have to go and waste their challenge in order to um, overturn something that clearly was a missed call and then have no challenge for the rest of the game. That's something the command center needs to step in. Um, and that's something we don't see too often with the command center stepping in. But that's something we should be seeing and I hope we eventually do see more so. Especially with the fact that now you've 
kind of put yourself in a position where you've said to the teams that, hey, you know what, you're only allowed one challenge. Yeah, yeah, precisely. Um, I, I understand, okay, you got two, then if you win both of them, you did a third. The command center shouldn't have to step in. But now I think the command center has to step in. What do you make of the CFL changing this rule mid-season? Do you like that? Because I would say if you ask any other sports league, that's kind of odd that you're able to do that in the CFL. Um, do you like that they're able to do that or that they do do that? Or is that uh, not something you like to see? Do you prefer it in the off season? For me, if it's a problem, you got to address it. As long, if the teams are okay with changing the rule midseason, which I assume every team signed off on it, right? That that would be the only way I could see the change, you know, taking effect. Then okay, you know what? You have a different argument than Randy Ambrose going and saying, you know what? We're going to change this rule without the consultation of the teams. Oh yeah, absolutely. There's no doubt in my mind they had to go and get approval from every team in the league. What remains to be seen is all of these teams, and this is my concern with this, all of these teams approve of this now. If I go and miss the playoff by one point because I lost to Team X back in Week 3 before the rule was changed, uh, and, that, and it was a close game, then maybe I'm not going to approve of it by the end of the season, right? Um, I mean, there's legit fairness issues with this potentially in the long run of, okay, I played all of my games against this division rival before the rule was changed or afterwards, right? For me, Ryan, I think you're barking up the wrong tree because I think all the teams understand. Uh, I think, honestly, Ryan, all the teams understand that this is the possibility. I think they're looking at it for the betterment of the lead, the betterment of the fans, the betterment of basically everybody that they implemented this, but I, I do see what you're saying. Right. Uh, I want to dial back to Thursday night's game a little bit, Calgary and Toronto, because we kind of touched on the Ray injury and what that meant for the Argos. We didn't really touch on the Stampeders at all with this game. 41-24 the final score. Uh, the last two games, the Calgary Stampeders have scored 101 points. Is this team... Uh, now, the Eskimos have the better record in the league, but I would uh, go out and argue the Stampeders are the best team in the league. How many points did the Bombers score in that time? 74? Okay. So I, I, I really don't understand this mindset of Calgary scores. It, it's a general thing that Calgary scored that amount of points, but everybody in the West has scored close to that number of points because the CFL has become more offensive this year. I think, you know, it's great what Calgary's done, but there's other teams that I don't think get enough credit, and the Bombers are one of those teams. Okay, I can see that assessment. I would just say that right now, the way they've rounded into form the last two weeks, um, the Stampeders are going to get on a roll here. They're, I mean, they're on a bye week this week, and we'll see how that affects things. Uh, but after that 60-1 to game where they absolutely steamrolled the Hamilton Tiger Cats, to come in on the road in Toronto and go and, you know, win 41-24, uh, it was 27-10 at halftime already for them. They had 27 points on the board by halftime. This is a team that's fully on the roll right now. They lead the league in points for. They lead the league in least points against. 
to, I mean, to lead in both of those categories shows how good of a football team this is. And uh, I'm excited for Labor Day. Oh, not only Bombers and Riders, but Battle of Alberta, Edmonton, Calgary is going to be some fun football to watch. Mark a date on your calendar, Ryan, and I'm going to find it for you. There's a date here. Just give me one second. Um, it's September 9th. There's a triple header in the Canadian Football League. And, hang on. I'll have to find it. This kind of came to me last minute because I was thinking about it this morning. It's September the 9th. We have a triple header that features as follows. All-time central. 2 o'clock, Winnipeg, Saskatchewan. 5 o'clock, Ottawa, Hamilton. 8 o'clock, Calgary, Edmonton. Wonderful. I know what I'm doing that. I know what I'm doing that day. Me as well. Um, Yeah, that's going to be a great day, a triple header all in one day. Is that the Banjo Bowl day there? Yeah, Banjo Bowl, Ottawa, Hamilton. In Ottawa, and then you, you could probably, if you didn't go into the Badger Bowl, be home in time for the second half of the Hamilton, Ottawa, and then the whole Calgary, Edmonton. Perfect. Um, yeah, the Stampeders, when it comes to that, the Eskimos are the best team in the league so far. I mean, they're undefeated on the season. My concern, if Edmonton still has all of these injuries coming into Labor Day against the Stampeders, that is going to be a tough game for the Eskimos. I don't think so. I mean, it's not like they beat the bottom feeders in the league here. No offense to everybody. I would say the the scary part is what happens when these guys come back. Yeah, yeah, that's going to be... uh, I would totally agree with you on that. It remains to be seen what happens with the Eskimos when everyone comes back, right? That's fair. Yeah, that's a game. I'm, I'm excited to watch those ones there. Um, the Ticats in town against the Bomb, or no, I guess the Bombers are in Hamilton this weekend, correct? Yep. Um, 0-6 for the Ticats. They lose that one to the Eskimos. They kept it close this week. They've done that twice with Edmonton. And then that had that shellacking against the Stampeders in between. Is this the Ticats moment to finally win a game against the I don't Bombers know. this week? I don't know, because... And there was a discussion about this. Oh, they'll be motivated to have a defensive coordinator change, blah, blah, blah. You can't change a scheme in two days. That's true. That I would have, yeah. Um, and I don't think, to be honest with you, all the problems were on the Hamilton defensive coordinator. Their offense has been lackluster at best. There are more problems in Hamilton than their defense. Absolutely. I think this week the offense started to put it together a little better. I think we saw a great game from Zach Caleros, three touchdown passes, his best game of the season, I would argue. Um, This is a team that we all know they're going to win a game eventually. As much as we see how bad they've been so far this season and think, well, when are they finally going to win a game? We know they are going to eventually. And the Bomber fan side of me really wishes they would have beaten the Eskimos this past week because... You don't want to be the team that loses to Hamilton. You don't want to be the ones to give them their first win of the season. This team, I think, is going to be fired up. I think we've seen some steady improvements from Zach Caleros uh, leading that offense the last couple of weeks. Uh, Granted, that game against Calgary, I guess there's not too much positives to come out of that one. 
Um, I think we're in for an interesting matchup here in Hamilton. Yeah, we'll wait to see my pick. Yeah, well, and the, the thing like that I find uh, particularly intriguing is, if you look at the Bombers, the last three games have been these uh, dramatic late-game comebacks, close games, final drive miracles. And then you go, and then now you go and prepare for a game against the Ticats, who have been blown out of the water by halftime in most games they've played. How do you adjust to that? Well, I think you say, you know what, we won a close game. Now let's see what we're really made of. And I think the character of the Bombers is really going to come through this week. Uh, I want to talk about Saskatchewan and BC. This game here took place on Saturday. So let me let me get this straight. This is what I understood. I didn't see any of the game. BC was up thirty nothing. Uh, Saskatchewan post Kevin Lyon and Burns gets two touchdowns to make the score respectable. Correct. Does that sum it up? Yep, that is exactly what happened. This is a game, and you know what? Coming into this game, I really expected to see a good game on Saturday because uh, I went and put it out there on our show's Twitter account. Um, the Riders are a much better team than their record, are a better football team than their record shows, is what I said. Uh, they were 2-3 and three coming into the game. They lost those three games they lost really were close ones early in the season. Um, I thought they were a much better football team than their record showed. I thought this was going to be a heck of a football game, but I mean, this was this was bad. We're looking. We're at a point in the fourth quarter where I was, you know, I was. Wa- I watched the first half. I listened to the second half on the Riders' radio. Not a single thing went right for this team until until late in the game, and finally in the fourth quarter, the Riders force a turnover. You think, okay, finally something went their way. Now let's see if they can do anything. Next play, they turn it over again. So, I mean, this is a game where uh, there was a very real possibility in my mind that somehow they were going to get shut out. Um, now, that didn't happen. Brandon Bridge comes in late in garbage time. Uh, the BC defense led up big time by that point, and Bridge goes and throws two deep touchdown passes uh, to make it a 30-15 final score. But, I mean, for all intents and purposes, this was a beatdown by the BC Lions. Yeah, again, it's we've gone however long into this show, and we haven't mentioned that Chris Williams played his first game of the year. And he looked great doing it uh, early on, caught a couple passes there, really made him, his presence known in that BC offense. I'll tell you, though, it's hard ranking the top receiving groups in the CFL right now. Uh, I mean, if you look at almost every team in the West Division, I'd say they have some pretty good ones. And uh, out East as well, almost all around the league, the receiving, the wide receiver groups are really, really well fleshed out. Um, but I think BC's got the best. I mean, you look at Chris Williams, Manny Arsenal, Brian Burnham, who... I tell you this, at the end of the season, when C- when TSN does their top 10 CFL catches of the 2017 season, we're going to be just watching the Brian Burnham highlight reel. He might be on there seven, eight times, because every week he does it again. He did it again this week. Uh, a catch, you know, in traffic, three defenders on him, jumps up and catches the ball, makes an incredible play, um, 131 yards and a touchdown. And then you also have Nick Moore in that offense as well, so... This BC offense is really good. And their defense is really good. And I just can't wait to see what happens. Because I think 
and I don't want to toot my horn, but I don't see a reason why the Bombers can't sneak into the top three in the West. I, I don't see it happening, personally. I think the top three in the West is clearly defined, uh, to me. Just uh, the Lions are a great football team. I mean, I don't even need to talk about the Eskimos and the Stampeders. I've talked enough about them. Uh, the Bombers have played good. I just think they're kind of they're still kind of uh, right below that top three in the West Division. Okay, and then they go to the East, and that might be the better route, and then have you know those top three in the West kind of beat each other up to get to the Ray Cup. Exactly. Uh, the Lions, Travis Lule, great game again, 338 yards and a touchdown. He ended up getting pulled uh, late in the game, and the uh, backup, I believe it was Alex Ross, came in uh, because the game was out of reach at that point. And actually, Lule took quite a big hit in this game and was down for a little bit. Uh, took a hit to the ribs, ended up coming back after that, but boy, was that a scare for the VC Lions. How do you put Jonathan Jennings back in? I, I think you do. I think it's made easier by the fact that Lule took such a big hit. He's been feeling the effects of it this week. Um, this is a discussion. I mean, you want to talk about quarterback controversies. People suggesting that there's one in Saskatchewan after Glenn has the best start to the season of his career, and then Bridge just comes in in garbage time and throws two touchdown passes. I mean, come on. There's no quarterback controversy in Saskatchewan. In BC... I don't think there is a controversy. I think in BC, though, there's more so of a case you can argue, okay, which one do we put in? It's going to be Jonathan Jennings when he comes back, which I believe is this week. Uh, he's been taking most of the reps th th so far this week. Um, but to have Lule as a backup in case anything goes wrong, I mean, that's a great thing for the BC Lions. For sure. I just wonder, Ryan, and the the value of a backup quarterback can't be understated. Absolutely not. I I say every time uh, it's the second most important position on the football field. Number one being the starting quarterback. For sure. Um, how do you take me from both sides' perspective on this? Because uh, this was a Lions game, like, this was a game that the Lions dominated. I mean, early on in the game, in the first quarter, they were all over the Riders. The defense was sledding long passes, letting BC march down the field all game long. To Saskatchewan's defense's credit, they held them to two field goals in the first quarter to keep it close early on, but I, the offense really didn't get anything going. Uh, it was beat down by the Lions all night long until garbage time. Um, and then you play each other again this week. So how do you go about preparing for this week? Uh, if you're Saskatchewan and then if you're BC. Saskatchewan, I didn't Saskatchewan. Well, here's the thing, like Saskatchewan's offensive line was thrown in disarray when they lost Dan Clark. I have to wonder if, you know, that comes back, you know, if Clark comes back or much, you know, your opponent at this point. There's not much really you can do, I don't think, both ways. It's just a matter of, I think for the Lions, the key part is to not be overconfident with how you played last week and not, right. be, and not be lazy in preparation. Um, because we've seen this time and time again, uh, when you play the same team back-to-back, -back, what happened in the first game, I would argue quite often doesn't make a difference for the second game. 
You know, we're going to have a discussion in a couple of weeks when Labor Day backs up into the Banjo Bowl. I just think that I think the bat to bats are overrated. Well, because, I mean, look at, uh, look at Labor Day and Banjo Bowl for an example. Over the last number of years, I believe the Bombers finally won on Labor Day last year, correct? Uh, yeah, they won both games. Um, but prior to that, how many years in a row? It was like 12 years in a row the Bombers yep. lose on Labor Day and then come back on Banjo Bowl. And, uh, you know, half the time, it's an entirely different game. So uh, it's something where just because you beat a team one week, okay, well, now they have the game film of why you really beat them so well. Um, now they're going to plan against that. So it's a thing that even though you had a successful game plan for taking them out one, taking them down one week, you now need to modify that because they're going to be planning to mitigate what you did the week before. So it's kind of a game of cat and mouse, a game of chess, if you will, between the two sides of, okay, this is why we lost. Now I need to over-prepare for this. And then the other side, okay, well, now I know they're preparing for this, so I need to prepare something else. Uh, can, you, uh, can you just picture the playoffs being the back-to-back games? Total point differential, the cat and mouse, what would be happening? Oh, gosh. I, I, I don't think that's something I want to imagine. Like, they do it in soccer, right? They do the home and home with the goal differential. Imagine if that were to happen in football. I want to get into our picks here. We've got about five minutes left here, Mike. Um, okay. Starting off Thursday night, uh, Red Blacks at home to the undefeated Edmonton Eskimos. Uh, for the Eskimos, a couple more guys going down this past week. Brandon Zilstra will be out. Uh, Duke Williams, he's on the roster. I don't know if he'll play. Um, but the Eskimos in town, who do you have? I have Edmonton. Edmonton in the close one for reasons discussed. Yeah, I would agree with you. Uh, they find a way to pull it out each week as long as Mike Riley's quarterback. Um, I believe in this team, just no matter who's injured. Uh, they have a tremendous amount of depth. I mean, I counted it off. If you go look at the look at one of my tweets on our show account from a couple days ago, who they still have at wide receiver despite losing their top three guys, and Duke Williams, I count as one of those. Uh, this team, is, I mean, that's still a great offense. I'm picking the Eskimos this week as well. Um, the Alouettes coming off the bye week again the week before is when they had that epic collapse against the Bombers. Um, at home against the Toronto Argonauts, perhaps Ricky Ray playing, perhaps not. Who do you take? Battle for first place early on. Montreal coming off the bye. I take Montreal off the bye as well, um, solely um, based on not knowing if Ricky Ray will play and if he'll be healthy when playing because that Montreal defense is good. Uh, and if it's Cody Fajardo in there, he's going to have a, have a tough night. He had a tough time, Ryan, just batting up here really quickly. He had a tough time against Calgary, you know, coming in and relief. Yeah, yeah, he did, and that's something. I mean, in experience, it's hard to know what to expect from a guy. He could come out there um, if he does get a chance to play and light up that Montreal defense. You never know because you haven't seen him play too much. Uh, but from what we saw in that game against Calgary, and given his inexperience and that great Montreal defense, uh, I, I'm taking the Alouettes. Interesting That's game, fun. though. Jim Pop, Mark Tressman, SJ Green, all facing their former team in the Alouettes, along with probably like half of the Argos roster. Anytime the Alouettes release a guy, you know he's going to Toronto because Jim Pop's going to bring him in. For sure. 
Uh, Ticats at home to the Bombers. We talked about this one. Um, give me your pick first. For the Ticats Bombers? Yep. Cats by three. I just I don't like this matchup. There's a lot I don't like about this matchup. And Hamilton, do you really see them losing again at home? I don't know. Um, so I'm going to take the Bombers to win this game. Um, but I think it's going to be a heck of a football game. And the reason I'm taking the Bombers is not for the mismatch on paper of how much better they the Bombers should be in this game versus the Ticats and how much they should win by. I'm taking the fact that we've had three straight games that have come down to the wire for the Bombers. And even if this one comes down to the wire, I have faith in them that they're going to pull this one out. Okay. Uh, and then we end off with that rematch, Saskatchewan, BC. Um, this one in Ryderville. Uh, I'm taking the Lions again in this one, although it's really tempting to take the Riders, just the way BC played the past week. Um, and I'm interested to see what Jonathan Jennings is going to do now that he comes back. For sure. I, I take BC. I like BC over Saskatchewan and Saskatchewan, but this one will be closer. Yeah, and that's uh, so that's all of the games. We got four days, four games, one each day. So an entertaining end to the week here. Uh, minute left, Mike. What you got for us? What do I got? Well, the Bombers go to five and two. They need it. I think this to me is almost a must win for the Bombers, given their game uh, coming back next Thursday for a game at home against Edmonton. Right on. Um, to end things off here, if you liked what you heard on today's show, follow us on Twitter at CFC on Mike FM, uh, on Facebook as well at CFC on Mike FM. Um, we have a SoundCloud page. You can look for us there. This will be uploaded there hopefully this week as well. Uh, again, this was recorded on Wednesday. If you're hearing this on Thursday, um, it's pre-recorded, so anything, any new news that comes out that you think we're crazy, it's just because we recorded a day early. Um, next week, we're back on Monday, correct, Mike? Uh, yes. Monday, 7 p.m., hopefully live in studio again. That's all for today's show. Um, on behalf of Michael Garrell, I'm Ryan Coop. This was the Canadian Football Countdown, and have a wonderful day. Bye.